Hey friends, thanks for joining us on the Equipping You podcast. Our prayer is that this podcast will encourage and equip Alliance pastors and leaders to live spiritually healthy lives and lead healthy churches. For more information about the Christ-centered Acts 1-8 Alliance family, visit equippingyou.org. Hey, 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 welcome back to Equipping You podcast. This is season 10, episode 10. Hey, all right, 10, 10. 10, 10, the end of, Ren 10, 10, the end of another great season, uh, What does Alan? it take to trigger some kind of old cultural reference in your mind? Uh, not much. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's called old age and nostalgia. Okay. Right. So, uh, I'm not going to argue. We're coming to you today from Columbus, Ohio, home of 22 stops on the uh, Underground Railroad. Uh, great piece of the history of this uh, city, and apparently there's a museum called the Kelton House Wow! that uh, celebrates that uh, significant piece of the history of Columbus. I appreciate that. So, uh, I'm Terry, Church Ministries Leader for the Alliance. And I'm Alan, Director of Development in Eastern PA Alliance District. And uh, at the end of this season, we will say what we haven't said yet that uh, we have Isaac, our producer, with us, and Andy, our videographer, and uh, so grateful that we're actually on video now, Alan. It's helped uh, raise our listenership. It really does. It's exciting to see the the number of listeners increase, and uh, so we're encouraging equipping more of our pastors and church leaders. Amen. So uh, at the end of every season, we do a biographical interview of an Alliance worker, and uh, this time it is uh, Mark Little Elk, who is uh, one of our Native American pastors up in northern uh, Minnesota. I had the privilege of being up there with him uh, a few weeks ago. Ruth and I did for his uh, graduation from Oak Hills Bible College, as well as to be at Cass Lake Alliance Church and thoroughly enjoyed every minute mm. of that uh, time. And Mark and I talk about once a month and just brainstorm about ministry and just love to see what God's doing through this brother's life. And I think, I think uh, we're all going to enjoy hearing uh, his life story and some of the stories of what God's doing through him right now. Well, this is going to be my first time meeting him, so I'm really looking forward to this. So grab yourself a cup of Crimson Cup Coffee at Five Bean Coffee in Reynoldsburg, Ohio. Sit back, relax. Here we go. And we're pleased to welcome to Equipping You Podcast today, my good friend, Mark Little Elk. Mark, thanks for taking the time to be with us today. Yes, sir. Thank you for the opportunity. We love these. Uh, we do this once a season where we kind of do a biographical interview of one of our Alliance workers, and so happy to do that with you uh, today. Tell us, Mark, about your background, your family, where you were born, some of the influences of your, on your life as a young person, uh, spiritual and otherwise. Okay, um, maybe I'll just share my testimony. Yeah. So I come from, um, was born and raised in South Dakota on the, what is called the Rosebud Sioux Tribe, the Rosebud Sioux Indian Reservation. It's in um, South Central South Dakota. And uh, growing up, I experienced a lot of the things that, you know, is common to Native Americans. Uh, Native Americans, you know, they have a high suicide rate, 
but growing up on the reservation, um, I grew up feeling like I didn't have a place in this world. I, I grew up, um, I didn't have a lot of friends. And so I was struggling with identity. I, I was being bullied um, in school growing up. And I guess, you know, kids can be mean. And uh, hmm. I guess I had a lot of reasons for them to bully me. I had um, long hair. It was like past my waist. And, and also I was smaller than the uh, rest of the boys. I used to have a stutter. So it was hard for me to be in school, especially on days we were supposed to read out loud. And um, I was also bullied in the community. My parents were believers and um, not a lot of people were. So because my parents were Christians, I kind of was kind of picked on for that. Hmm. And growing up, I felt like um, I just felt like the whole world was against me. So, you know, as I'm growing up, trying to trying to fit in. I try to think logically and I try to think of ways to make friends. But as I surveyed the demographic and watching what everybody was doing, I quickly learned that people were doing alcohol and drugs. So I thought maybe I needed to do those things to for people to accept me. During this process of trying to fit in, I became a hardened alcoholic and drug addict and it just became a part of me. Um, in that process, it, I was I seen a lot of rehab centers and then to a lot of correctional facilities. You know, along with alcohol and drugs comes crime. And through through those years, I've watched a lot of loved ones pass away. Where I'm from, it's common for someone to die in, in a vehicle accident, um, suicide, or murder. You know, and so. Growing up, watching people die this way, I had three brothers who passed away, lost a sister when I was young. Wow. And from experiencing all these different things, there came a point in my life where I just, I lost hope. I gave up and I said, well, I accepted the reality and, and just figured I'd be another Native American male, either taking his life or um, dying of cirrhosis to the liver due to drinking. And so I accepted this and I lived without hope, mm. thinking my life couldn't get any worse. And in 2015, tragedy struck like um, I couldn't believe. There was a girl I was dating. She was killed by a drunk driver. Not long after that, my best friend, John, he took his life. Mm. And, um, and these were people I depended on, people I went to whenever I was struggling, people who would hear me out, you know, in my, my distress. And so I was broken and I didn't think it could get any worse. I had a 14 year old daughter named Jasmine and she was going to a residential boarding school. And growing up, I was so caught up in my own pain and my own, my own life and distress. I was so busy trying to suppress all these bad experiences in my life that it took me away. It removed me from the blessings I had. I had a 14 year old daughter and I didn't know that she was going through the same things I was and she was being bullied and experiencing some pretty hard things. Well, one day some people made her feel like she couldn't be in this world no more. So my little girl hung herself in the bathroom Boy. and I didn't know how to cope with that. Lord you know? 
I didn't know how to deal with these things because nobody ever taught me how to deal with grief in, mm. in a healthy way. Where I'm from, whenever someone dies, you, you drink to forget, you know, you drink to remember, you drink to do everything. And so it was hard for me. And a year later, my mom passes away. Mm. So during those times, the alcohol wasn't doing it no more. So I started doing harder drugs and I became an IV drug user. And just try just to try to numb the pain. One day, I in June 2017, I ended up in jail for DUI. And as I'm sitting in this jail cell, I remember I go to call home and I was wondering why nobody was answering the phone. And I remembered everyone I loved, everyone I depended on had passed away. And after a few weeks of detox, you know, I didn't have nothing to self-medicate. It's like the every single loss in my life came came bearing down upon me and I was broken. Hmm. And there was nothing to help me. None of these things I used to turn to in the world, there was none of that there to ease the pain. And I had to deal with, with the reality of my life. And I remember sitting there asking myself, I said, how did it come to this? Hmm. I didn't remember waking up a little boy saying I want to be a strung out junkie. Um, as I looked around this jail cell, I seen older men late 50s, 60s, they were chronologically adults, but emotionally in the chair. They were talking about gang life and things like this. And I said, I, this can't be my life. And during that time in jail, I was having dreams of my daughter and my mom. See, my daughter and my mom would go to church and my little girl would try to encourage me to go with them. Later, I now realize God was using my little girl to evangelize me, but so I sat down and I thought about it. And I said, okay, if this Jesus that they believe is real, then they're in a place called heaven. Because Paul said in his letter to the Romans, there's therefore no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. So if what they believe is true, they're in a place called heaven. And if something doesn't change right now, I'll be separated from them forever. So I called on to the Lord. I prayed and that night he gave me a dream. And in this dream, I walk into this place and it's full of people and there's a man on stage speaking. I couldn't quite hear what he was saying, but it's like whatever he was saying, the people in attendance were getting encouraged. They were getting strengthened. It was like they're even getting bigger. And so um, I needed to hear what this man was saying. So I find my way through the crowd. I get halfway through and there's an old lady there and I ask her, I said, what's he talking about? And she told me to be quiet. She said, you need to be quiet. He's speaking the words of the prophets, the apostles, and the Messiah. I had no idea what that meant at the time. So I keep pushing my way to the crowd. And when I get close, I'm shocked because I recognize this man on stage. Now, this man was me, but it wasn't the Mark Littlewalk that was having that dream that night. It wasn't this beaten, broken drug addict. This man was confident and speaking with authority. And he looked free and... When I woke up the next morning, I woke up with tears in my eyes and I was talking to the Lord and I said, that's a beautiful dream. But I said, how dare you show me something like that? I'm not capable of those things. And I felt that the Lord put on my heart. The Lord said, alone, no, but come and follow me and you will be. And I just said, I just want to be free of this pain, this addiction. Well, the Lord put on my heart a bunch of things to do. And one of those things was to get help from my addiction so I went to a long-term rehab center and I was there for almost nine months. 
But it wasn't there where I started to begin reading the Word of God. Mm. And, you know, I started out with the King James Version, but <laughs> it was hard for me because I didn't understand the these and the thous. And I'm like, what does this even mean? And so I was trying different translations. I ended up with the children's Bible. And even at that, when an Apostle Paul said, we are saved by grace through faith, I didn't know what it was to be saved. I was drowning and dealing with the, with the consequences of a sinful life and a sinful world. And um, I didn't know what grace was. Nobody was that really nice to me. And I sure didn't have any faith. But something, as I kept reading and reading, I knew something was happening inside my heart. There was something foreign that I didn't feel for years and years, and it was hope. Hmm. And I started hearing a voice, a still small voice. And so I kept searching in the scriptures, looking for answers. And today I could testify that still small voice that I was seeking was the voice of Jesus. Hmm. And after that, after that treatment center, I knew I needed, I needed more. And so I prayed, and I had two choices, to go to an art institute where I thought if I just developed my art technique, became famous, get exposure, be rich, and I wouldn't need anybody. Then there was this other opportunity to come to Minnesota and go Bible college. And so God led me up here, and that first semester was hard. I came up here in 2019. The snow was like waist high. <laughs> but, our institute is down in Santa Fe, New Mexico. So I'm looking at pictures of Santa Fe where it's all nice and warm, <laughs> looking at my phone, then looking outside like, man, this is a mistake. <laughs> but by God's grace that, that summer, I was serving at a youth camp. And during that summer, God brought three special people into my life. Um, before my daughter passed away, she told me she wanted to be an organ donor. So when she passed away, we honored her wish and through that dark time, God worked all things for the good. He saved the lives of five other women. And one of them was a little girl. And God taught me about racism because God used the organs of a Native American girl. And they work. They're still functioning in an African-American girl, an Anglo woman. It's just so beautiful. And and uh, Organ Donation Foundation, um, Life Source, Organ and Tissue that's what it's called. They wanted to film the testimony. And so they brought the lady that received my daughter's heart. And I got to hear my daughter's heartbeat with a stethoscope. Mm, and when I heard my daughter's heart beating in another person, I heard the Lord say, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. And since that moment, I've been sold out for Jesus. I told the Lord that I can't explain all these things that are happening, how everything's so interwoven and and things that I cannot explain away, things I cannot rationally tell you why they happen. And because of that, I knew that that was the miraculous work of our God. And so since then, I said, I'll serve you, Lord, at whatever capacity that may be, not knowing today, you know, they'd call me pastor. Mm. But more importantly, I've been healed, been set free, and just been seeing the Lord move in other people's lives and seeing the same thing happen for other people has been such a blessing. And to witness that, to witness God's power, not only in, in my life, but in other people's lives, mm -hmm. reminding me that there's a God in heaven and that he loves each and every one of us. So, Yeah, that's beautiful, man. Yeah.
So, you know, compare your pre-Christ life to the life you're living now. Tell us, tell us the difference. It's full of color and it's vibrant. You know, before coming to Christ, I was a tattoo artist and everything I did was in black and white. Mm. Today I paint in color and everything's, even the food, you know, tasting new food and everything has flavor and, and it's exciting and there's hope. You know, um, in the past, it was I was on a I was on a journey to a dead end, but today I wake up um, expectant. You know, um, excited. We never know what the Lord's going to do, mm-hmm. and so that's the difference today. That's great. That's beautiful. And you painted the picture above your head. Am I right, Mark? And behind you? Yeah, I actually painted it. Um, Buddy Zane has the original. But this one, I actually did something different, and I decided decided to bead my painting. Oh yeah. So this is this is over forty. This is made of over forty thousand beads, and it took me like two hundred fourteen hours to complete. Oh wow. wow, that's amazing. That's amazing. I don't think you needed to go to art school. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> so. Uh, Another area of skill and passion for you, uh, Mark, is archery. Mm. And I just want to reflect on a moment in the basement at Castle Lake Alliance Church a few weeks ago where I shot the arrow under your tutelage, and I actually hit the target. Now, I did not hit the bullseye, but I actually hit the target. And I'm like, wow, he must be a good teacher. So how are you using this uh, archery thing as a tool to make disciples and mentor young people? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, been witnessing great responses to the archery um, along with sharing the gospel. A lot of times I go to the reservations teaching young adults who live on the reservations. You know, um, majority of these young people have very little interaction with God's word, let alone Christian circles. What they know of Christianity is different from, from what we think of the faith. Hmm. But the bow and arrow have significance to my people. Indigenous people know that the arrow cannot fly without the bow, and that for the arrow to fly far, it would need a strong bow. So for us, it's a love story. But to reach the target, you need insight, strength, and will. I've learned that to be a good archer, you need a proper stance and develop and hone in on your instinct and intuition. With that, I make a transition from these lessons to the value of receiving all these things through the Holy Spirit. Mm. It serves as a bridge, and when you teach people skills, they are grateful and they're willing to listen. I believe the best way to learn something is to teach someone what you learn, and that's what we've been doing. We now have people capable of teaching the archery if I need to be gone. The most rewarding part about all of this, the most beautiful part of teaching is watching someone you teach, teach other people. And best of all, to hear with your ears, the people they're teaching, tell them they are good teachers. Mm. Yeah, That's really powerful. And to know that you do your part well and to see other impart skills and truth to those lives they are touching with excellency to the glory of God. Makes me think of what Jesus said when he said, let your light shine before men so that they'll give glory to your Father in heaven. I believe this is the 
concept of disciples making disciples. So it's been really encouraging and um, I'm excited to see what the Lord's going to continue doing in it. Amen. Good. Amen. So Terry tells me you have uh, evangelistic gifts um, that you, and this kind of keeps in line with that dream that you saw earlier. So both mm -hmm. in personal and corporate. So uh, tell us about some of the ways that you're connecting with people who need to come to know Christ and, and what fruit are you seeing? Yeah, you know, one, one way, you know, well, first they're sharing the gospel, but also sharing testimony. You know, sharing testimony, you know, in our church, we're, in our ministries, we're seeing growth. The type of fruit that I'm seeing is watching the people I minister to begin to minister to other people. Love that. I had, for example, I had a, a chance to share with a brother who was struggling with his culture and his faith. And after sharing my testimony and how I went through that battle, um, the spirit moved on his heart and now he follows Christ. Now, along with that, there came another brother who was dealing with the same issue. And before I even got to speak into his life, I saw that first brother start ministering to him. And now he has victory over that struggle. Love it. Get, I get messages from places I travel to minister to and they share about how the message the Lord spoke to them has given them a new perspective and now how they're making changes in their life to follow Christ. Seeing breakthroughs in people's life, it's a real, it's a real treasure. One time I had um, ministered to a sister who called me one day and she was intoxicated. She expressed how she was encouraged of what the Lord was doing in my life but she said she didn't feel that she could talk to me anymore. And when I asked her why, she said, well, because I'm still this way. I still use drugs. And I told her she didn't need to apologize. I ended up praying for her, and she made a decision to follow the Lord. After that conversation, I devoted 30 days of prayer to her, morning, midday, and before I went to bed. I didn't hear from her for a whole year, and I often wondered where she was. One day she called me and she said after that conversation, she immediately the Lord led her to a rehab. And when she called, she said she was a year clean. But today she now celebrates over three years of victory over addiction. She has gotten her children back. And the blessing is when I visit her church is to walk in. I see her standing up front, in front of everybody, mm -hmm. raising her hands, Praise praising the Lord. the Lord that set her free. Praise God. She stands there unashamed and unapologetically because she knows she has much to be forgiven of, and she's thankful. She now serves faithfully in her church, and she's leading her, her family and others through Christ, through her testimony. It's beautiful. That is beautiful, for sure, yeah. no doubt about yeah. it. So, uh, Mark, I also know you as a man of faith who isn't afraid to trust the Lord for miracles, Tell us one of those miracle stories, if you would. Mm. I, so there's one I we recently experienced. Um, during February, we have our we go to a men's retreat at um, Big Sandy Camp, Alliance Camp. And this past year, the registration filled up quick, and so there are people, men from our church and men from the community, who put aside that time of year to participate in that well we didn't have anything for them so i was praying and um you know i was looking for other alternatives 
and I found out that our district was doing uh, peacemaking training. And I, and I, so we rented an Airbnb. We drove down to the Twin Cities, which is about four hours south. It was winter time. We go down there, and there were some new guys who wanted to come, and there were men from different places in their life, different places in the faith, if you will. And so I didn't know how this was going to work out. But we got there, and it was beautiful. People were playing cards. People were playing chess. We are just fellowshipping. And everything was going exactly how you would want it. So we all get some rest. Next morning, I'm waking everybody up. You know, hey, bro, it's time to go. It's, and we're making our coffee. Um, Brother Zane Williams comes with us. We drive down in our trucks. We go outside and warm them up. And so I'm upstairs trying to get people together. And I'm like, let's pray before we go. So we're praying. And we're all fired up. We're like, yeah, let's go do this. We're walking outside. And all of a sudden, I see Zane's truck go flying by us. And one of the younger guys looks back and he says, where's Zane going driving like that? And I look at him. I'm like, what do you mean? Zane's right here. <laughs> and all of a sudden, it hits me. Wait, they're still in his truck. <laughs> and so <laughs> I, I throw my coffee, my bags out. I go running, jump in my truck. I'm going to chase after this thing, you know, just not thinking about it. You know, just instinct. I jump in. By the time I jump in, a couple of these younger guys jump in with us, with me. And so I take off and I'm driving. We lose this guy at a stoplight. And when the light turns green, we come up and we don't see this truck in sight. And I'm like, man. But the guys with me are fired up. One of the guys says, we need to go down the freeway. It only makes sense. The freeway is right there. But I keep going. I'm driving down this little back street. And they're all fired up like, what are you doing? What are you doing? And I'm like, you know, um, I said, I need to pray. So I'm sitting there praying, I'm driving, and all of a sudden I get a picture of some apartment complexes. And in my mind, I'm like, that looks familiar. And then it dawns on me, the name of those apartment complexes is in a place called Little Earth in Minneapolis. And so I go on my GPS and I type in Little Earth, and we start going, it's taking us through downtown Minneapolis, and the guys are like, it makes no sense. Why would a car thief drive downtown? He's asking to get caught. And I said, just hold on, brother. I said, I, mm -hmm. just, I feel like this is where we need to go. And so we start pulling up about 25 minutes later. And I'm like, okay, boys, this is Little Earth. Keep your eyes out. And we pull up and I, I feel like I should go in back of these apartment buildings. So we plow through the snowbank and we're going through. And just as we pull up in this parking lot, the GPS says, you have arrived. And as soon as we come around the corner, there's this truck sitting there untouched. And we're like, whoa. <laughs> and so we get out, we park in front of it. We get out, look around. There's nobody around. And we call the police, tow truck drivers, all these people. But it really gave us the opportunity to minister. And um, when the police officer showed up, he's like, how'd you find it? Did you have GPS on the truck? I said, no. He said, well, how? And I was at first I was a little hesitant, but I said, "Sir, I'm a, I'm a minister of the Lord Jesus," and I prayed, and God showed me. He's <laughs> like, "Really?" He's like, "That's amazing." And Otex drivers, all these guys were just amazed because they said, "This doesn't happen down here." So you know how many cars get stolen. You know you're lucky to find it in one piece. And so it was it was a really really powerful time. The Lord, you know, is um, Lord still does miracles and. When we continue operating out of faith and, and allowing his spirit to move through us, you know, um, one of the biggest messages I've been sharing with people um, since I came to the faith was to endure and persevere, be patient, trust in the Lord, because it's a message I had to be telling myself, you know, because I, 
um, coming to faith and coming out of drug addiction and being in a new culture and learning new things, I really had to learn to trust the Lord. And just recently I, I graduated from a small college up here and, um, and I had my struggles there. But towards the end of the semester, I go to pick up my cap and my gown and there was this little yellow string and a rope in there. And I asked the lady, I said, what is this for? Is this, you know, what is this? And she said, for people who have academic honors and we, we're going to do a award ceremony that we want you to be there. And I told her, no, thank you. I don't do out well, those kind of things. But it kept on me and they came. I finally said, okay, I will attend. I get there and they're not giving out these academic awards. They said, I finished cum laude. And so I get up there, I get my award, and I'm just like, wow, you know, I, I didn't think I'd get anything. I sit down, I hold my award, but then <laughs> after me, they start announcing these other awards, and they sound more and more prestige, you know, and um, there's a lady that got, girl that got inducted to some academic society, and it just sounded really nice. And so I'm looking at my award like, okay, I'm, I'm thankful for this. And finally, the professor says, okay, for our last award, the highest award we, we give here, the Presidential Leadership Award. And before he even said who it was, in my mind, I started distributing that award because when I, from the past, I knew that people with these high grade point averages, these really, really studious people would get these awards. So I was already distributing it to, to these other students. And all of a sudden, I'm getting drinking my water, and they said, this year's award goes to Mark Littlewalk. And I almost showered the guy in front of me. I was like, what? My buddy looks at me. He's like, get up there. And so I'm like, okay. I close my water, and I'm getting up. Like, But something happened. The reason I'm sharing this is something powerful happened. That short walk from my chair up to the stage, as I'm walking, the Lord started replaying images and memories in my mind of this journey and these memories were reminding me of all the times I wanted to give up, all the times I wanted to throw in the towel. There were many times I was in my dorm room, you know, things were happening back at home in South Dakota and I'm up here and just a lot of, a lot of challenges. And I remember there were times on my, I was in my dorm room crying on my knees, asking the Lord, why do I have to do this? I said, Lord, I, I don't drink no more. I don't do drugs no more. I don't fight. I don't do all these things no more. Isn't this enough? It's hard. I can't do this no more. But in that moment, the Lord told me like he told Nathaniel. He said, I saw you sitting under the fig tree, mm. reminding me that the Lord is there with us in our affliction and in our suffering. Amen. We only need to persevere and trust in him. And it reminded me of what David said. You know, He said, you prepare a table in the presence of my enemies. Not my head or oil. So when we persevere, the Lord will reward us. You know? Amen. So. Amen. That's beautiful. It is. Great story. God's amazing. So you're Native American. You pastor a predominantly Native American church uh, on a reservation, and you have evangelistic ministry and other reservations. So, you know, you definitely have a broad view of the unique challenges of ministry to your people. Uh, how can I, you know, what are those challenges and how can our listeners pray for you? That's a really good question. You know, I was thinking about this and 
there's always going to be a battle with culture. Syncretism is at the doorstep of every minister, whether it's me here or on other reservations, dealing with people mixing the native spirituality with Christianity, or you or other ministers out there in different parts of the world dealing with people mixing the different types of faith with Christianity. I think the biggest syncretistic issue that we will all face, both personally and corporately, is the mixing of our own will with the Lord's will. Mm. So that's how it can be, be praying for me, and that's how we should be praying for each other. Mm -hmm. As we deal with <laughs> issues, culture, the changing times, that we first don't mix our will with the Lord's will, and when we rest in the Lord's will, we'll be equipped, and He'll give us everything we need to deal with those other issues. Mm -hmm. Amen? Amen. So uh, talk on the other side of the coin about the potential of Native people, Mark, and your hopes for Native people, perhaps especially your hopes for Native young people. Yeah, I pray that we learn to forgive. You know, the historical trauma and uh, racism and things like that, I pray that my people learn to forgive and receive the peace from Christ. Mm. You know, most Native tribes are nomadic. They were nomadic. My Lakota people especially. And when I've noticed that when a Native is set free and healed from their past, and if they choose not to carry the historical trauma, and when they are sold out for Christ, we can be the evangelist to take the gospel back to the church. Mm. You know, a young monk sister once told me after, she asked me a question similar to the one you're asking now. She asked me, and so I shared my heart and the concerns for my people. I remember I was so moved and grieved. I was about to shed tears, but she spoke into my life a message from the Lord. She said, Brother Mark, the church has failed to live out the true gospel to your people. But then she said, don't be sad. Maybe the Lord will now raise up your people to take the true gospel back into the church. Mm -hmm. That's beautiful. So, word. So I ask everyone to pray for my people, and I personally extend an invitation to anyone who wants to walk with me in this journey of not only taking the gospel to my people, but to taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. My hope is that we can all work together and Lord willing, one day see Native and First Nations people all worshiping together, singing with praises onto the Lord saying, the gospel was brought to our people in the wrong spirit, but praise God for sending the faithful brothers and sisters of the Christian and Missionary Alliance mm. to share the true gospel mm. of Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 Well, Mark, we really appreciate you joining us today. You've got a great story. God's doing a great work, has done a great work, and is doing a great work in your life. And we're, we're just thrilled to be able to walk alongside you in that process and pray God's richest blessing on your ministry at Cass yeah. Lake Alliance and all of the other places that he gives you opportunity to preach and, and uh, share testimony and uh, share witness. So, God bless you, my friend. Thanks, Lord bless you. Thank you, guys. Yeah, God bless you. So, Alan, and I enjoyed hearing Mark's stories again. I had heard 
uh, I think all of those stories or some of them uh, previously and grateful for God's work in his life. Uh, what stands out in your mind? I mean, I'm never, I'll never cease to be amazed at the power of the gospel to change somebody's yeah, life. Yeah. I mean, the extraordinary tragedy that he experienced. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I can relate to parts of the beginning of his story, but then he just faced some, I can't even fathom it. But yet, yeah. God in his grace reaches him at his absolute lowest point where he has zero hope, yeah. thinking he'll never change, and he's going to become just another statistic of somebody that's taken his life. And here he is today, leading a church and proclaiming the gospel to many other many other people. That that never ceases to amaze me. Yeah, it's wonderful stuff. So it is. Loved uh, love listening to Mark and hearing his story again. So that concludes season ten. It sure does. And so next time we'll be back to you, God willing, with uh, season eleven, episode one. And we have no idea what that will be. We don't. We walk by faith and not by sight. I am. I do feel confident it will be a good guest. I feel confident uh, of the same, Alan, because God just keeps giving us good people to talk to, and and uh, I thoroughly enjoy the conversations yeah. that we have. Ditto. So I uh, hope you're enjoying those conversations and benefit from them. Share them. You know, let your. Uh, elders or governing board watch equipping you podcast at the beginning of a meeting uh, share it with them the links with them on email whatever you can do to help us spread the word so that more and more leaders are equipped for the advance of the kingdom and the glory of jesus christ amen we'll see you next time on season 11 meanwhile keep the faith thanks for joining us on this episode of the equipping you podcast If you liked this episode, please consider subscribing and sharing it with a friend. For more information about this podcast and other ministries of the Alliance, visit equippingyou.org.